0: If you have a Bible in front of you, I would really encourage you to open it up today. You can use an app on your phone. As you can tell, one of our projectors is out today, so I don't have any of the verses I'm going to look over on the screen. Just going to rely on the old print media today as we look at the very beginning of this sermon series, Summer School with Jesus, starting with Matthew chapter 7. So open that up to the reading that I just read. Very end of a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus's first time in the public field. He's out there preaching and he concludes it with, admittedly, some words that I will say are not very WWGJD. What would Jesus do? A lot of people in our culture, whether they believe in Jesus as a unique Son of God or not, will say something like this, Jesus is a really nice guy. I've got no issues with Jesus. He's so nice, he's so loving, he's so kind, he was a pretty good teacher, but Jesus would never say anything that would personally offend me. Jesus would never do anything that would affront my sensibilities, except in this text here at the very end of his first sermon, Jesus calls some of us in the room here today wise, And the very next moment, he calls some of us in the room here today, or if you're watching from home, he calls us fools. Not nice. I wanna be one of the wise people. I don't wanna be one of the foolish people, and yet it's right in front of our faces. He says, if you don't do what I tell you to do, if you base your worldview, if you base your morality, if you have anything in your life that you're building a foundation on that's not my words, it's not of God, you are a fool ouch, we might say today to Jesus. Now, the Apostle Paul, in his letter to Colossians, the city in Colossae, the church there, he says something very similar. He equally warns us against this. Jump with me to Colossians chapter 2. Starting with verse 6, he writes, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And the Greek word here, this is more than just like taking a stroll with Jesus. It's more like military, military in nature. It's walking step by step in with like a column as you're walking down the road. Think uh, rabbi and student. When a rabbi in those days was walking down the road, he would often be teaching. And if you were a good student, a good pupil, you'd want to walk right with that rabbi so you wouldn't miss a word. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying is walk that way with Jesus. And he uh, introduces us to another metaphor. Got all kinds of metaphors today. He says, be rooted and built up in Jesus. And this reminds me of when I was in New Orleans, 2006, right after Hurricane Katrina. Uh, We were walking down in the third ward. We were there for some cleanup, and we're walking down there, and we saw building after building just completely obliterated, just destroyed. But right next to the rubble, was an ancient, like, you know, 200, 250-year-old oak tree. And while the leaves were ripped off, the limbs were broken, that oak tree was so firmly rooted in the ground that nothing could shake it, nothing could take it out of the ground, not even the powerful force of Hurricane Katrina. This is the type of rootedness that Paul wants us to get into our head, that Jesus Christ, his teachings, are so fundamentally important that everything should be built on top of Christ, he says, be rooted, built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. Just as you learned when you were in Sunday school, when you were in church and you heard some sermons, when you were studying your scripture, just as you were taught. That's the positive side. But then he quickly turns and gives us like a negative version of his teaching. He says, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, philosophy and empty deceit. Now for the first hearers, those in Colossae who were the very first to hear Paul's reading, this would have made a lot more sense perhaps to them than it does to us. In those days, there were two types of philosophy uh, schools of thought. There was Epicureanism and there was Stoicism. am not going to get into what those mean except this. They were held on very high regard, the, the philosophers themselves. And what they said really carried weight in society. It impacted the culture It's kind of like if you're watching the news and some scientist or some person is on the news and they're telling you some facts, and then you see that that person went to MIT or they went to Harvard or they went to Yale, all of a sudden you go, oh, well, I better listen. This guy's pretty smart, right? These are the philosophers of the day. They carried a lot of weight. They carried a lot of sway. Paul says, look, as smart as they are, as well-spoken as they are, if what they're teaching you is contrary to the word of God, if it's contrary to the teachings of Christ, have nothing to do with them. Be be careful of them. And then he says in verse 8, be careful of human tradition. And this is kind of a ding of the religious leaders at the time. There were many religious leaders, Pharisees, Sadducees, who had converted to Christianity but they had a really hard time letting go of their law that they had developed as Jews. So there were 613 moral laws in the Mosaic Old Testament. They had added another 1,000 or so laws based on human tradition, had nothing to do with the word of God. And Paul is saying, look, be careful of that human tradition. If it's not from Jesus Christ, if it's not from the word of God, be careful. He's warning us against them. And also in verse eight, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Elemental spirits of the world. Another way you can translate this is elemental principles of the world. In the German, this is the zeitgeist. This is the culture in which we live, the cultural soup that we're surrounded by, the shows that you watch on TV, the news that you bring into your head, the songs that you listen to, the academic uh, thinking of the day at the university and the schools that you go to. What is it in our culture that the culture is pushing on us, forcing us to view and to think about and is infiltrating our thoughts that is contrary to the word of God that is not based on the teachings of Jesus Christ but based on the whims of the culture this is what the apostle Paul is warning us against that if you don't again build your foundation your worldview your morality on the teachings of Jesus Christ you are according to Jesus himself foolish because it's going to lead you down a path of destruction it leads to no good it's a dead end So then what was Jesus teaching? If you go back with me, we'll flip back to Matthew chapter seven. Again, he has just had this incredible sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus spends several minutes unpacking morality according to uh, a Christian lens, according to a spiritual lens. And he says, starting with chapter five, verse 21, he says this, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Anybody in the room ever been angry before? Thank you for being honest. John was honest. Nobody else was. Oh, thank you. Yes, you can be honest. Yeah, so basically what the apostle, or what Jesus is saying here is, look, we say murder is bad, but he's gonna raise it up a notch. He says, if you've ever been angry with your brother, you have broken this command. And he continues. He talks about sexuality. Look at verse 27. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If you've looked at a man or a woman and you've had lustful thoughts in your heart, Jesus says that is the same as committing adultery in the eyes of God. He talks about divorce. It is also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give, give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except on the grounds of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. He's elevating the bar for us. He's not minimizing it. He's pointing out areas in our life where we have the potential to fall short. And again, I want to remind you, this is Jesus' words, not mine, where he says, if you don't Listen to my teaching. If you don't do the things that I'm telling you to do, you're like a fool who builds a house on sand. And, and jump with me one more. Let's, let's try to offend everybody in the room here today, shall we? <laughs> Look at verse 19 of chapter 6. He says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. And this is the key verse, 21. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What is Jesus saying? If you wake up in the morning and the very first thing you think of is your finances, if you spend your day thinking about how much money you have or don't have this house that you have or you don't have the vacation that you want to go on, your retirement, if that's the most important thought in your head over and above thinking about God and thinking about the relationship that you have with him he is saying that if you keep that up it's going to lead to destruction that is not a firm foundation on which to base your life your morality your worldview now again I was joking but admittedly the things that Jesus is saying to us this morning are offensive And it's really important that we understand the culture in which we live. In our culture, one of the greatest sins that you can do is to point out something that is wrong with another person. It's called cancel culture. And if you say something, if you do something that's not according to the culture, the culture says that you should be dismissed, that you should be uh, taken out, you should be removed from the culture because the worst thing that we can do is offend another person. And so we walk around in this culture and we kind of lightly tiptoe around some of these issues because we don't want to offend. And we don't want to point out where somebody has gone wrong or in the biblical sense has sinned. And yet, what do we do with this? when right before our eyes, Jesus Christ himself says, X, Y, Z, pick your poison, whatever it is that you heard me say that caused a little bit of offense to occur, what do we do when Jesus says, look, if you don't do these things, chapter seven, you're like a fool who's building a foundation on a slippery slope, on the grains of sand. Well, something really important before we go any further, uh, something that you need to know about our theology. We belong to a Lutheran church, a Christian church. A super important thing for you to understand as we read God's word, there is something called the gospel, and that's the good news that Jesus Christ died for your sins, and there's something called the law. And the law is those little tiny poking at your heart, poking at your preconceived notions that don't make you feel very well because you read it and you go, ugh, that's me and I don't like that. But the law is very, very important for us. The law, you see, is kind of like a a check engine light on your car. You know what I'm talking about? The little yellow thing that flashes on the dashboard of your car. This is a true story. This happened to my wife and I, Amanda. I have to first to you admit an addiction that I have. Uh, My wife and I, we love to buy used cars. Uh, In fact, we've purchased 30 of them in our uh, married life together. Embarrassed to admit that, 30 cars we purchased. One of them was a super cool red BMW. It was an X5 2012. We paid $10,000 for it. Awesome car, beautiful red color, awesome leather seats. Had all the little German blinky flashy things that they charge you all the extra money for that no one knows what it really does. But it was so cool, and we loved that car. And Amanda drove that car all the time until the check engine light comes on. And she comes home. She goes, I don't know what's going on. The check engine lights on. I say, okay. So I take it to the mechanic. He plugs in his little computer, and he goes, oh. Now, it is bad enough when an American car mechanic says, oh. But when a German car mechanic says, oh, you know that it's going to cost a lot of money. And in fact, he said that there was this particular filter that was on this vehicle. That had to be been removed because it was out of its lifespan, and it was going to cost $5,000, I drove the thing home and I said, Amanda, we are not BMW people, eh? It's not gonna work. But here's the deal with the warning lights. When a warning light pops up, you don't like to see the warning light because it means two things. Number one, it tells us that something's wrong. Number two, it tells us that it's going to cost something. And when we're reading God's word, when we are opening up his holy words as we listen to sermons and when we hear something we see that little spiritual warning light going on the same thing is true it tells us that there's something wrong and it tells us that it's going to cost something so what do we do Where do we turn? I want to invite you as we close, go back with me, Colossians chapter two. The apostle Paul actually gives us this advice. He teaches very clearly how we get out of this messy situation that we find ourselves in. When we find ourselves at odds with the word of God, when we're not building our foundation on the firm rock of Christ, jump with me to verse nine, chapter two. He says, for in him, in Jesus the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Now this is kind of like a word salad from the Apostle Paul, these next several verses of his. We have to unpack what each one of these things means. First of all, the whole fullness of deity. This is something that was going on in the Colossa, Church of Colossae at that time where people were believing. They were Christians. They believed that Jesus was God. They believed he was uh, the unique son of God, but they also believed that God had sent other deities into this world. So for example, some of the Christians in this church were worshiping the emperor because that was a common practice of the day that the emperor was seen as a god. And so when the Christians were hanging out with other Christians, they would say, yes, Jesus is God, and they worship him. But then they were hanging out with their neighbors because they were afraid of what their neighbors might think. They said, yes, we will worship the emperor because that must be another deity sent from God. And the apostle Paul is saying, no, Christian, remember what you were taught. The entire fullness of God, all deity, rests in one man, your Savior, Jesus Christ. And he continues. He says, you've been filled with him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In other words, everything that you need in this world, everything in this life, you've been filled with the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead. That power rests in you. And you say, how can that be? And the Apostle Paul says, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 11. In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And we'll pause again. If you know anything about Judaism, you know that the marking of an Israelite, the the thing that makes you an Israelite, that that puts God's hand of providence upon you, that puts his marking, his claim on you in, in your identity as a child of Israel was something called circumcision. It happened at eight days old. If you were a boy, if you were a man and you converted, you had to get circumcised before you could even come into the temple. It was the marking that that is how you knew that you were called by God saved by god as an israelite the apostle paul says no more to which all the guys are like thank you he says no more because now there is a new circumcision a circumcision of your heart and that happened at your baptism if you're a christian here today if you've been baptized in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit now that is where your identity rests Not male, not female, not black, not white. None of the labels that we put on ourselves today. It starts with, and the basis point, the foundation of your identity is secured and sealed in your baptism. You've been made new. You've been washed. You've been clean. And that is what makes you, you. None of those other things. Your baptism in the name of Jesus. That's number two. Then here's the the linchpin. Here's the key. Look at verse 13. He says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, in your sin, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, with Jesus, having forgiven us all our sin by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. What Jesus has done for us is not only has he given you a new identity, but every time that you fall short of his holy words, every time that you build your foundation on something other than his word, every time you sin against him, the only thing you have to do, and in a second this happens, in an instant, is you turn to Jesus Christ and you say, Jesus, I'm sorry. I've tried and I've failed again. Again. Jesus, I'm sorry. Would you help me build my life on your sure foundation? Would you help me pick me up off the ground, Jesus, again and again and again? And the second you do that, you see Jesus so willingly forgives you. He wraps his arms around you. He brings you near to himself because it's you that Jesus Christ went to the cross for. He forgave you, and it's kind of like this. I think this is a great analogy. It's like you go to court for something that you do, and the judge finds you guilty, but instead of sending you to jail, the judge gets down off of his bench, and he goes to jail for you. This is the gift that you have in Jesus Christ, your Savior. So these next several weeks, we're going to be spending time at the feet of the great teacher, Jesus. And again, because we live in a culture that is so easily offended and actually tries to get us not to point offense, to to not try to change, I want to invite you into something, especially if you're a newer Christian, if if this is something that that is new to you, coming and exploring Christianity, I want to invite you to do this. If you hear something as you're reading God's word, as you're hearing the pastors preach, if you hear something that causes offense, don't leave us. Because that's what the culture wants you to do. Instead, I want to invite you to look to the one who had nails put into his wrists, to his feet, who was lifted up on a cross, who was willing to give his life for you. He died for you. Look to Jesus and see how Jesus might be weaving a tapestry of faith into your heart so that you can, along with all the saints, receive this message of the kingdom of God over and over and over again. Oh, I pray that you will do that as we together sit at the feet of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.